I want to speak to you on a, on a subject or a message that, that is not necessarily what I wanted to preach, but just understand what I mean when I say that after spending some hours wrestling with the Lord, I feel like it's what I've got to preach. And I don't say that begrudgingly or anything, but uh, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Let me say that, and I don't begrudge the word I'm going to bring you, but at the same time, uh, I am aware of how certain things are not always received when they're said from someone of my age. <laughs> I know that. Uh, if you've been married 52 years, you're not going to ask me for marriage advice after I've been married for this 52 days. It ain't even that long, actually, so just let me evangelistically stretch that. <laughs> so I understand there are some areas of life that I cannot speak to yet. With that being said, I, I feel like I know what the Lord's placed in my heart, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to just hear my heart this morning as we dive into this word and... Uh, understand that I'm fully aware it's not youthful arrogance to run in and tell you some of these things. I'm aware that it may not sound the right way coming from me, but we're going to just go into that and see what the Lord would say to us this morning. Amen. Heavenly Father, oh God, we don't approach your throne lightly this morning, God. It's not just out of habit. It's not because this is the, the right thing to do to pray right before you preach or to pray during church. God, we approach your throne this morning because you said I could, and you said that I could spend time with you. You said that I could have relationship with you, Jesus. So right now, we choose to take advantage of that privilege, God, that great honor that the God of heaven and earth would even care to listen to the thing that I would say. God, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this time to be together. I thank you for these precious people and for what you want to say to us this morning. I thank you for the blessings you've placed on our church and on this family. God, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for your many blessings. Help us this morning through your word, God. Help us this morning. <laughs> In Jesus' name. I, I don't know about you, but uh, as, I'm, as I'm getting a little older here, uh, my prayers are changing. I used to have these real specific prayers, and now a lot of times seem like my prayers just help. Help, Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing. God, just help. Just, I don't know what to ask you for, Jesus. Just, just help. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? Uh, sometimes I don't have the right words and I don't know what to say, so I just, just help. Help, Jesus. I don't know if you see what I'm making a mess of over here, but just, just help. Help, Jesus. I'm, I'm tearing it up over here. Not in a good way. <laughs> Nobody else feel that way sometimes. Amen. Have you ever noticed, we'll dive on in this morning, I won't waste a lot of your time, we'll be, we'll be quick and concise as best I can. Have you ever noticed how once we get inside our little, our churchy circles, uh, uh, sometimes it, it seems like we develop these, I guess circles is a good word for it, not just our church, I mean just, you know, church where we get these circles developed, and, and uh, it seems like in my experience anyway, growing up the way I did around church and in church all the time, like I grew up, I think I was three weeks old and took my first nap under a church pew, you know. <laughs> like I've been in it for a little while. Didn't always do the right things. Didn't always do what this book said to do. But I've been around it a long time. And it seems like sometime when we get in those circles that, that we get to hear a whole lot about Jesus, but we don't necessarily hear a lot about what he had to say. Now, I'm thankful I'm part of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Amen? But it seems like even at that, there's so much churchiness around us just in our culture and it's steadily being pushed at us that there's a lot of times that I hear about Jesus, 
And people say good things about Jesus, and I want to be like Jesus. And we're hearing all this stuff, but, but I don't necessarily hear what Jesus had to say for himself. Y'all haven't seen that? Nobody else remembers flannel board Jesus in Sunday school? Y'all don't remember that? The flannel Jesus, and then you had the little sheep. And, so, and we would hear the same three or four Sunday school lessons, right? And that's who we learned about it as Jesus. And, and nowadays, we, we've grown past that. We don't still have him on a flannel board. You know, we put him on a fancy screen now. And uh, we, we ascribe a lot of titles to him. And we say things like, you have no rival. And I, you know, man, I get, Michelle starts singing that, man, I could jump all over this place if I let myself. <laughs> because it's just, but we, we, we talk a lot about him. We give him a lot of titles. We say a lot of things about Jesus. But we don't always, in the midst of ascribing those titles, we don't always let him write his own story, so to speak. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's almost like the church as a whole, not again, not us, but just church as a whole. It's like we've taken Jesus and, and we've sort of picked his five to seven best catchphrases and, and his most loved cliches, and those have become the primary source of what we talk about. Yeah, y'all going to be real quiet this morning. Okay, okay. I feel you. I see you. I got that. <laughs> but here's the thing it is we, we pull our primary narratives from these five or seven things that Jesus would say. And, and I know you've got to see it whether or not you say it. Like you may feel that that's too unchurchy to say, so I'll say it for you. I'll take care of that and just tell you we do that a lot. And, and it's almost like we made Jesus... One of those little, you know, the little pull-string dolls that you used to get the kids when they were two or three, the little baby dolls that you'd pull it and it would say this one thing, then you pull it and it says another thing. I remember Toy Story was like big when me and my little brother were young, and I remember having Woody, and it was like, there's a snake in my boot. You know? Y'all don't remember that? <laughs> you pull it again, somebody's poisoning the water hole, and, just, you know, and you trip on that thing in the middle of the night and you hang your toe in, and it says, howdy, pardon, the devil is a... Y'all ain't never done that. <laughs> Trip on that thing in the middle of the night and it starts talking, casting demons out of everything in sight, and then you realize it's just Woody. <laughs> and we do this. Sometimes, though, I think we make Jesus, and it's like, whoop, love thy neighbor. And we, whoop, turn the other cheek. And we pull that string. And, you know, and somebody wants to tell you something that's, that's hard scripture. No, 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 that don't line up with wind up Jesus. Wind up Jesus said, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you all right. That's what my wind-up Jesus says, right? And it's, uh, it, it's kind of getting funny. Uh, but what I find even funnier is that version of Jesus is who I see a lot of church people trying to emulate and be like. It's kind of, I had to go steal this from the nursery, so Bruce, don't, don't, don't tell Wanda or anybody. Oh, there's Miss Wanda. Yeah, don't tell them I stole your toy. <laughs> it's sort of like, this little thing here. And you hear that? So you push this button and you get one thing. Can y'all hear that? No? You hear it now? <laughs> or you push this button and you get this other noise. And it's like we've got these three or four things. And kind of like Jesus is only allowed to have those five or so things that we'll talk about in church. We've almost set it up. I'm going to get that out of the way so it don't start singing in the middle of this message. <laughs> we've almost picked these same five to seven phrases for ourselves, And our wind-up doll is a handshake. And it's like we come in church, and they wind us up and say, how you doing, brother? And we say, oh, I'm wonderful. 
And you step over and you see this other person, they shake, how you doing, man? I'm good, I'm good. If I got any better, wouldn't know how to stand it. And you come over and you shake another hand, how you doing? Shanda Jose, Jesus is good. Jesus is good. <laughs> and then sooner or later you notice that you've shook more than five hands and you start saying the same thing that you said a minute ago. Don't act like you're so churchy you ain't done this. Everyone, you a lie if you ain't. <laughs> We've all been there. <clears throat> and we, we put on this, this idea of, of what we've got to do and what we've got to say. And how, we've got our same few little phrases that we want to say. And, and what, what is happening is we'll, we'll get all this stuff pushing down on us and all this stress Monday through Saturday, things that are happening, things that are going wrong, stuff that is not the way I want it to be. It's just bad. You're in the car coming to church and you and your wife cussing each other out and you get in the house and you throwing stuff at each other and social media, you sharing all kind of stuff. Let me see if I can type this out and she'll know who I'm talking about her and just share. <laughs> Some of you get real catty and real petty. You start sending it in messenger even so they know it's right to them. Like <laughs> and then we walk through the door and it's like somebody pulled our wind up. Howdy, partner. And, you know, say the same few things. Same old stuff. And we get our little Jesus-y sayings going. The truth of the matter is we're walking around and we're, we're broken. We're tired. Upset. We don't feel good. The truth is we're damaged goods. I want to talk to you this morning about that idea of damaged goods. Uh, when I'm broken, when I'm hurting... When I am upset, when we did just have that cussing, screaming match in the house or in the car on the way to church and then we had to make it all right, what do I do when I'm like that? What do I do when everybody thinks I've got it all together and I ain't got nothing together? I don't have any of it fixed. And first, I want to remind you of a few things before we dive off in this message too far. And it's not another church anese kind of saying, like, you know, church got its own little language that we using that we talk in, and, and I'm not going to tell you that when you feel that, just praise your way through it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you, just, just worship him anyhow, worship in the waiting. That'll take care of it. That'll fix it. Tell that to somebody that's known Jesus for three weeks. They have no idea what you're talking about. They need you to help them. They need some answers. And, and theoretically, yes, that is right. I agree with you 100%. You can praise your way through some pain. You can worship in your waiting, and God will move. Theoretically, you are right. But applicationally, I want to hit you in the face when you tell me that. <laughs> right? Theoretically, the week has been straight from the underworld, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And theoretically... You say, well, if you'll just put the devil under your feet, and applicationally, I just want to see how far I can lodge my foot, and, oh, y'all are that saved. You had never felt that way. Okay. <laughs> we're that church. I didn't realize we were that way. You know you've been there. When they start saying that stuff to you, they start talking to you that way, that husband, that wife, that, that other friend, that coworker, whatever's going on, and they start popping off real smart, <laughs> and then they want to preach to you. You got them people in your life. And you felt the same way about them, right? We feel broken. We feel messed up. We feel like things are wrong. And, and I'm not going to give you just another one of those, well, worship while you wait. Let God fix it. Just worship. That's true. That works. If you're that saved, good. If you're not that saved, let's talk about it. 
<laughs> and uh, damaged goods is kind of what, what we feel like sometimes, is it not? Feel like we've got all the right content, like we talk about Jesus, we know Jesus, we know he's on the inside. But, but it's kind of like the can at the grocery store that you see the one that's done being dropped and dented up and smashed. You don't want the green beans with the hole in the side of the can that look like it got punted across the field. You want the ones that still look good, right? And a lot of times we feel like the can that's got the hole in it that has been kicked across the field and everybody's kind of picking over us. Nobody really wants to deal with it. Like they see the can with the hole in it, but they don't want to deal with the can. They don't want to do anything about it. And uh, let, let me give you some stuff that, that may, it helped me. We'll see if it helps you. I'll just be real open and tell you it helped me, so maybe it'll help you. Is that okay? I promise we'll get preachy in a minute, but I'm going to just set it up and talk to you for a minute if that's all right. Uh, does anybody remember in Genesis 126 what's going on? It's creation. Everything's happening. Like God is up there and he's been like, bam, zap, poof, stuff popping up out of everywhere. It's like a Batman cartoon, you know, the cloud with the writing in it and like, Zoink, and then a bush popped up. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I figure if I can make you laugh, maybe it'd be, you know, if you ain't going to shout at me, I might as well try to make you laugh. So. <laughs> but in Genesis 126, I, I remember that creation is going on. God is in heaven, and he's up there. And throw that verse on the screen for me. He, he looks around, and he said, God said, let us make man in our image. You don't have to go to the next one. That's enough right there. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us. Who is he talking to? Because he's in the middle of creation. And I know Jesus don't talk to trees like that. He told them to be another, but he's not, you know, who is he having a conversation with? It's himself. It's God and God and God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, are having a conversation in and among themselves. And he looks at the Holy Ghost and says, hey, let's, let's do this thing. And the Holy Ghost looks at Jesus and he says, what is a human? And... God's like, I don't know, but we're about to try it. <laughs> if we mess up, we ain't never made another one, so nobody got anything to compare it to. It's like, and they decide he's going to make mankind, and he says, let us make man in our image. And he's looking around, and we know from John chapter 4, Jesus tells us that what God is a spirit. So if three spirits look at each other and say, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. He's in heaven, he's busy creating, he's doing all of this stuff, and then he's going to make us look like that us. So, what did he do? Because I tend to think about Genesis 2, 7, where he formed man out of the dirt. But before that conversation ever happened, in Genesis 1, he said, let us make him in our likeness. Three spirits got together and decided they were going to create something that looked like them. So what did they create in you first? Your spirit. Before he made your flesh, before he made your skin, your organs, all that stuff, he decided to create your spirit. Now I'm going to go just semi-deep for half a second, then we'll pull it back. You are a three-part being, just like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. Are we not? So if we are spirit, soul, and body, that means that the spirit side of me, when God said, let us make him in our image, he put something from himself in you and I, right? He placed something good 
on the inside of you. And, and everyone else on this planet, as well as me, as well as you, everybody else that you've come in contact to, saved or not, inside of them, God deposited some goods on the inside of them. And, and so the Spirit is one of the three parts that make us who we are. Now, here is the kicker. God designed us to live spirit, then soul, then body. And another way that you could say that is he designed us to let the God side be first and foremost, and then the thinking side of us be affected from that side, and then that side gets together with the other side, and it makes the body of us, the doing side, do what it's supposed to. Did that make sense? If my spirit is in charge and helping control what I think, then when my spirit and my thinking get in line, my body is going to do what his word would want me to do. Right? And now here, here is how I know that you're supposed to be spirit, then soul, then body. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, the apostle Paul is talking and he said, May the God of peace wholly sanctify you, completely sanctify you, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. What order did he put that in? He said it's supposed to be your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now, I understand it's scripture, but for some folks that's not, not just good enough all the time. We don't say that, but sometimes it's not quite good enough. So, who wrote that verse? Paul scratched it down, but the Holy Spirit was the author. The Holy Spirit is the one who put it in that order to say that we're supposed to live and be wholly cleansed as spirit, soul, body. Right? That was the plan of God. Now, if he was the author of that, I don't believe it's an accident. I don't believe it's a clever use of some literary device like alliteration to have the spirit, the soul, and the body. That's not what this is. This is God's order for us and how we're supposed to live. But the problem is our world is functioning under a different order. See, your enemy has an order too, right? He does not want you to live spirit, soul, and body. He wants you to live soul, then body, then tag that spirit on the end, because he can't get rid of it, but he wants you to be soul, body, spirit. So everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you say, when we live this other way, Suddenly, when they make me mad, it doesn't come to my spirit first and then put me in line. It comes to my soul first. And I sit there and think about what they said and how they said it and why they said it that way and what I should have said back and which, which word I should have combined with this other word to make this new profanity that has not yet been uttered so that I could show them just how thoroughly I wanted to bless them out. <laughs> And we, we start thinking about it. And then because it doesn't come to our spirit first, it comes to our soul, it comes to my mind, it comes to my emotions, I begin to let all that junk boil. And it begins to stew on the inside of me and get me angrier and angrier. And then maybe if it were soul, spirit, body, it might be okay because there'd be a line of defense. But the enemy's trying to ensure that you live soul, then body, then spirit because I get mad enough thinking about it to do something. And then that thought trickles down to my body where I can do something. <laughs> right? They make you angry enough. They get you mad enough. So then that thought process moves down to your body and you say things you wish you wouldn't have said. You go places you wish you wouldn't have gone. They reject you and the thoughts of that rejection comes in and suddenly you're doing things with your body 
that you know Scripture would say you're not allowed to do. Because there's no line of defense there. We've gotten it out of balance. The Spirit is not there to catch those. The Spirit is not working as it should. Am I making any sense or just rabbit trailing real hard? Okay. So the thief comes to swap up God's order. John 10.10, everybody knows that verse if you've been in church for more than three months because we all quote it all the time. The thief comes but to steal, kill, y'all could be a choir. You got it down. Like you knew it. You knew where I'm going. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the words of Jesus about the plan of the devil for your life. It's what he wants to do. But here's the thing. The stealing, the killing, and the destroying, they don't always look the way I think they look. See, I don't know about you, but my devils don't look like the devils that I see in the movie theater. My devils don't fight me dressed up like some zombie nun or some Emily Rose thing, you know, crawling the exorcist kind of man. My devils don't look like that. If they did, I'd have grabbed a handful of Crisco and anointed every door in the house, spoke in tongues for an hour. <laughs> Gone. Let that marinate for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we deal with that. But my devils don't look like Hollywood's latest and greatest devils. My devils don't look like the things that I'm seeing on that screen. That's not what I fight with. So when my devils come to fight me, they don't show up in my life in some freaky-looking demon costume. They show up and they fight me with lies and deceit right here because I've let my order get swapped. I've let some things get out of line because, see, there was this thing called a curse that put everything out of the order that God had initially designed us to live in. And now we're struggling to get back to that because Jesus paid the price to break the curse, and that's a deep theological thing for another day. But now that the enemy's got our order all jacked up, stuff, instead of coming to my spirit, where I should say, no, 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 I'm not going to think like that, I'm not going to do that. No, it doesn't happen that way. It gets to my mind first. And I start thinking about this stuff. And I start replaying in my mind everything that they did and everything that they said and all the stuff that I would do different. And I run over all those thoughts of, of being rejected and being angry and being mad and being hurt and how I felt when they handed me the pink slip after all that time and how I felt when they walked out after all that time and how I felt when my kid is being a fool after all that time of training them. Right? And I sit and stew on all of those things. And even though I'm really close proximity to Jesus, I'm around him all the time. I'm here, and, and I think I know a lot about Jesus. And I know all seven of the wind-up dog. I got the deluxe package. Mine don't have five. I got seven pool sayings from Jesus. And ain't none of them doing anything. None of them are what I need right now. None of them are helping me. Because my devils aren't fighting me the way that they keep telling me they're going to fight me. They're coming, and they're hitting right here. They're coming and they're fighting me between my ears. That's my battleground. That's where everything is going crazy. That's where I'm struggling. They attack, not in my spirit, not in my body. They attack in my soul. Now, let's, let's, let's look at this. You see I got this present here. Vonda thinks that this is her present, um, but this is not Vonda's present. This is somebody else's present. <laughs> let's look at this box for just a minute. Now, when you look at that, this thing, uh, we're going to pretend that this is you. So you just insert name here. Whatever your name is, this is you. A and you've got on this box, you've got the wrapping and the bow that makes it look all pretty. That's the covering over that thing. Then you've got this cardboard box that I've wrapped up. That's the, con or the uh, container. And then you've got whatever's inside the box, which is the contents, right? 
So let's break it down like this so it makes a little... Can everybody see this? You good? Okay. So you've got the covering, your soul, and you've got the container, your body, what all this stuff is housed inside, and then inside of the covering and the container, you've got the contents. That's your spirit. And your soul, your covering, that wrapping paper, see, your covering here, it's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. Another way that we could say that is it's what you think, it's what you want, and it's what you feel. This covering is how I think, what I want, and what I feel. And have you noticed that when the enemy wants to attack me, he doesn't go straight in trying to get to whatever's inside the container. The way that the enemy gets to what's on the inside of the container is he'll begin to come and he'll begin to find a spot where he can kind of rip a little bit at my covering. He'll, he'll, he'll tear a hole in the way I think, in the things I want, and in the way I feel. He'll, he'll come up and he'll, he'll begin to look at things and, and when stuff goes wrong, he'll start, start cutting at you saying, you know, how, nobody's going to love you after you went through all that and you've been through this thing and that thing and how you can't do this, you can't do that. You've had all this failed trouble, all these things that are going wrong. You got fired, you lost the relationship, you, and he just starts cutting at stuff, right? And he starts trying to tear things up and pull it open and and sooner or later, you know, it, it's like it starts out small when you, like the family member dies or when, you know, mom or dad walks out and a little bit more gets ripped off. And all of a sudden that covering, that mind, the way you think has been affected for the rest of your life. And everything that you ever view is based on something that happened to you when you were young. Now, you, you got abandoned, you got rejected when you were a kid, and now you walk through your entire life afraid that somebody's going to abandon you or reject you. You, you have an issue come up where, where, where you lost the job and you've been told that you were a fa failure and now you've been at your job for 15 years and you still go in every day doing lackluster work because they're going to fire me anyway. Time's bound to give up one of these days because the enemy has attacked your covering. And your mind, your perception has been changed so severely and he begins to attack all of these things. And then when he can get to my covering when he messes up the way I think, when he goes in and destroys everything that I thought I knew and starts changing that up, then what happens is he's able to move that stuff to where it's no longer just on my covering, but it starts getting on my container and I start doing things and saying things and going places and all of a sudden my container's getting all messed up. I'm doing stuff with my body that I said I'd never do. I'm falling into sins and struggles and temptations that I swore I would never be a part of again. Th those thoughts got to, got to wrecking my mind and, and going on, and now I've, just, I've got all these things happening, and I'm, I'm damaging my container, and I fell back into this addiction, and I'm going into that struggle, and I'm, I'm walking out because I'm tired of having to deal with this because the way I'm thinking. And if he can get into my covering and start messing with my mind, then he can get to my container and start changing the things that I do with my container, with my body. If he can mess with my mind, my soul, he'll jack up that stuff so intensely that now I've allowed things to happen with my body that I thought I'd never do. I get in things, and you say, boy, that's getting awful 
sexual for a Sunday morning, isn't it? Well, if that's what you're convicted of right now, that's fine. But you cuss with your mouth too. And you gossip with your mouth. That's part of your body. <laughs> and you cheated on your taxes with your hands. And that's part of your body. Woo. <laughs> Got quiet, didn't it? It was just a little bit. Hey, God knows, man. He's not confused. Every, everything, he sees it. And I let those little thoughts get in. Little thoughts. And those little start, thoughts start, start causing big reactions to the way I live, right? It's okay. You, I, mean, I ain't calling you out. Nobody knows if you did one of those things. Everybody got, y'all's neck got so tight I can see the hair standing up on the back of it right now. People that got wrinkly necks suddenly look smooth. You're so tight. <laughs> you look like a pack of hot dogs on the back when you walk in and suddenly they've been boiled. They swole up like, <laughs> calm down. It's all right. We're going to deal with some stuff, though. We're going to talk about some things, some stuff that damages us. We walk around. We see all the marks. We see where the devil's come in, and he's stolen. He's killed some things. He's destroyed some things that we thought we would never let him touch. We've gotten messed up in some places we thought we would never go. He's cut into this covering called my mind so deeply that it's allowed me to do things with this container that I said I'd never do again. But can I give you the news, the good news of this story, of where we're going here? Because some of y'all are freaking out because I ain't pulled the text except one verse yet. I'm still about to take my main text. <laughs> but I'll hit it quick, I promise. Can I give you the good news? God still can, will, and wants to use you in your brokenness. He is not scared of the marks. He's not scared of the ripped up paper. God still wants to use you. Let's jump to our main verse real quick in 2 Samuel chapter 4. We'll start there and then we'll hit another one real quick. 2 Samuel 4 verse 4 says this, Jonathan, which is Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. When he was five years old, news about Saul and Jonathan's death came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled from the building. And it happened that as she was quickly trying to get away, he fell out of her arms and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Y'all heard this story before? I hate preaching this story because his name's so hard. You've got to say it a bunch of times. <laughs> Let's jump one more time to chapter 9 real quick and read a few more verses. We'll read them quick, but we'll pull our main thought from here. Now David said, Is there anybody who is still left in the house of Saul that I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. So the king said, Is there still somebody of the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame on his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then the king David sent and brought him to the house, from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had, had come to David, he fell on his face and laid out straight before him. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, I am your servant. David said to him, do not fear I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, and you will eat bread at my table continually. Let's jump back into this and look a few things. So we read chapter 4. 
where a baby boy, he's five years old, he's been left with this nurse, and she picks him up, and she's running because news of his father and grandfather, who were the king and prince at that time, has come to them. So she picks him up and begins to run. She takes off. She's trying to flee the city. She's got to get away because of danger. And as she is running, she trips and drops this innocent baby boy, and from five years on forward, he's crippled. Can't walk. He loses everything from his waist down. Can't move anymore, can't provide for himself, can't work, can't do anything. All because of this one instance. Now we fast forward several years and Mephibosheth is no longer that five-year-old boy. He's no longer the prince. He's no longer royalty. He's nothing. He's crippled. He's broken. He can't work. He is living in somebody else's house, bumming off of them in a place called Lodabar that just literally is a desert. There's nothing grows there. The name, I think, means barren, actually, if I'm not mistaken. It, it, it's not a place you want to be. And we go from the five-year-old boy who got hurt one time when somebody who was supposed to carry him dropped him, and now we fast forward all these years later, and it's an injury that he is still scarred and still marked by. It's something that has changed the course of his life. It has ruined his life by other people's standards. See, some of us, a lot of us, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm kind of more like Saul and Jonathan because Saul made some really dumb decisions that cost him all of this stuff. Saul made stupid decisions that caused him to get in the place he was where he was broken, he was humbled before God, not humbling to, to God, but God broke him because of how foolish he had been and all the things that he had done. And a lot of times, I, I'm more like that, that I make dumb decisions and, and I get broken places because of my own wrongdoing. Anybody willing to say, yeah, I've made some dumb decisions and I broke myself a few times? You won't lift your hand, but you know good and well that you done broke. <laughs> Got credit card receipts racked up so long because every time you walk by the clearance aisle, that's something in you. You've got to swipe. You've got to get it. You can't figure out what it is, but it's from back when your parents didn't have money and they was living with stuff getting shut off and you swore you'd never be that way, so you got that job where you make twice as much money as they did, but now you're still living in debt because you're used to that cycle. You won't break it. It may not be a sin, but it's real inconvenient for the kingdom. Right? It's real inconvenient for God wanting to use you when you're so stressed out all the time that the devil has a wide open door into your mind because you can't think straight from all the stuff you got to deal with. We can get real applicable this morning. It can hit all of us. It's not just those broken people who, oh, those people. Yeah, they are damaged goods. No, no, we, <laughs> we are damaged goods. And a lot of times I do things that I've broken myself and I've made dumb decisions where I messed it up. But what am I supposed to do? Because there have been some other situations in my life where I'm a lot like Mephibosheth too, where somebody who was supposed to watch me, who was supposed to take care of me, who was supposed to care for me, they forgot to do their job or they decided to do the opposite of their job. And when I thought that I was safe and I thought I was okay, they dropped me. I put some trust in some preachers along the way and I thought for sure they would have my back and somewhere along the way they decided not to and they dropped me. I jumped into some relationships thinking that I could confide in them and I could talk to them and because I knew what it was to be lonely. Like I was that 15-year-old preacher. I was well aware of what it was to not have a lot of friends. 
God fixed it, blessed that over time, took care of that, I, you know, that's all good. But I knew what it was to be the one that nobody wanted to see you, nobody wanted to hang out with you. They sure didn't want to date you because you might pray in tongues on the date at the dinner table. <laughs> Dear God, don't date a Pentecostal 15-year-old and take him to the movie theater. It starts cussing and he gets up and makes you walk out. <laughs> I'm well aware of what it was. And because of those injuries... There was some things I let myself slip into because I didn't want to be rejected like that again. Oh, you ain't been there. Yeah, we still got that act up. Yeah, <laughs> you have. We've all felt those things. We've dealt with those things. And sometimes there's been stupid decisions that I made that broke me. But there's been some other times where I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. I didn't try to bring it on myself. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do and they still dropped me. And now I'm like Mephibosheth. I've got this wound that I can't get rid of. I didn't bring it. I didn't cause it. But God, how do I get rid of it? And I don't know. I'm stuck with it. And because I didn't get it dealt with earlier in my life, it changed the whole course. Because there's things that you didn't correct. It shifted the trajectory of your life. Because we left that wound open and exposed and the enemy got down in there and started burrowing his little holes, telling you all these lies, eating away at your confidence and who you are in Christ, gnawing away at your identity as a son or daughter of God. It's what he does, folks. That's how he comes. He attacks me here so that he can get here. And sometimes we end up like Mephibosheth where we didn't ask for it, we didn't do anything, but they still dropped us. Now, when I made the bad decision, it's one thing. When I did it, I can handle it because it was my fault. I was dumb. I'll come repent. I'll take it. But what do I do when it wasn't even my fault? And now I'm just damaged goods. What do I do when stuff happened, things went wrong along the way? I didn't want it. I didn't bring it on myself. But now I'm stuck with it. What am I supposed to do when I'm broken and when I'm angry and, and when everybody knows it? It's not even my fault. I didn't even do it. But it broke me, and now they can see it. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I'm damaged goods. Okay, now all you religious people who didn't look at them because I ain't going to confess that over my life. I'm a first and not the last, head and not the... Get off of your prideful horse. That wasn't the Spirit of God that told you not to do it. It was the fact that you don't want to open up and expose yourself again because you got hurt last time you did See, I told you, sometimes things aren't received real well when you're this age, but you know, I can blame it on young, dumb preacher. I'm just going to go at it. Here we <laughs> Wound up, baby. We going. <laughs> we get so caught up that we can't confess this stuff. We can't say this thing. There's power in the tongue. I ain't going to confess that I'm broken. You're right. There is power in the tongue, but i got bad news for you. You are broken, and as many times as you refuse to admit that you're broken is how long it's going to take before God can get in and work on that. Maybe, maybe I'll use this illustration. Maybe some of you know or don't know. Uh, when all those storms came through back at the 1st of June, my parents had a tree fall across their house, tore it to pieces. I mean, like, you could walk in the bedroom and suddenly there's 17 skylights. It's wide open. Wide open spaces, you know. It's there. You can see all through the outside. The great outdoors is now in the living room. But Brother Keith... 
What if when that house got broken, my dad walked in there and started looking at that thing and saying, oh, I ain't going to accept that. I ain't going to confess that. No, this ain't broken. No. Praise God. It's healed in Jesus' name. Now, you a builder, has that ever worked for you? Okay, I didn't think so. I just wanted to make sure. I thought I was factual in telling you that that won't fix your house. (laughs) And a lot of times, we're the same way. We got broken stuff and broken places. Things that were structural and foundational to us have been mortally wounded. And rather than open up and deal with those things and admit, I need somebody to help me here, we want to try to cover it up and say, no, mm -mm, it's all good. Everything's good. I got it covered. How you doing, Brian? Fine. (laughs) I'm fine. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Doing good. Get your wind-up toy going again. When all along you know that there is damage on the inside of you. It's like, it'd be like if you broke your leg and knew that you broke it, I mean snapped it clean in two, and rather than going to the doctor, you found you a real good crutch real quick and got that crutch on. And you never went and took any scans. You never went and got a boot or a cast or whatever they wanted to do to it. You never got any surgery. You just walked on that crutch and you said, as long as I'm real careful, it'll be all right. It'll be okay. I'll just keep walking on my crutch here and we'll, we'll be good. And you limp through the rest of your life with a gimp leg because you never let it heal properly. You never let someone who could fix it take a look at it. You never let it get opened up to be put back in line. You just keep on limping. Keep on Walking on your crutch. Keep on holding. And that's why now every time people make you mad, you got to leave the room. Because, see, one time you got broken in that place of anger. You pushed too far. You went across the line. Now you just, you just tiptoe around it. And when they start ticking you off, you can't go there because all it's going to take is one little tweak and you're going to break it all over again. One time you, you were unfaithful in that relationship, but you didn't confess it and you didn't get caught. You broke something and now you're just trying to walk around and you're trying to hide it and cover it. And you think that as long as you walk real soft, they'll never figure it out. But one of these days, you're going to tweak it again. You're going to break it all over. Because you won't let anybody get in and deal with the thing. We keep putting this mask on, acting like we've got it all together and it's all okay. It's not. Admit that there's damage. Admit that there is an issue that we need the Lord to work on. But the problem is, we don't want anybody to see our box. We want to keep trying to turn it. Say, nope, I got it all together. It's all good. Look, 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 I turned my box. See, it's, there's no ribs, there's no tears. My covering is fine. I'm intact, preacher. Don't worry. About it. It's all good. I got everything here. Stuff falling apart left and right. You ripping duct tape and bailing wire and super glue and trying to put yourself together before every Sunday morning so nobody can figure out just how messed up it is. But the truth is, we look a lot like this because some stuff has happened. The enemy come in, stuff got broken, and and, and you had those feelings, and he came in and got your mind, and he came in and he got your, your covering, your container. He started tearing stuff up. You had all that stuff where you you lost that job, where you lost that relationship, where you had that miscarriage, where you had that abortion, where you you had all this financial trouble and you thought you were going to lose anything. And and the enemy has started coming in and tearing stuff up and putting holes in things and going after it. And sooner or later, your container is going to get so busted because of the things he's gotten in here that there will be no hiding if we don't deal with the damaged thing. But we have gotten this Americanized consumer view of our lives so that we want to deal with... We we can't handle admitting that sometimes on the inside we look a lot like this right here. 
You know why? Because, because we think like the consumer. See, when, when I walk in a store, if I see it and it's got a dent on it, the tag can be on it crooked. I'm like, man, that tag's a little crooked, man. Are you sure that y'all can't give me some money off of that? It's a tag. It don't mean it. But I, discount if you can get it, right? Y'all don't do that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you walking in there and you wear your big belt buckle and lean up and look at you trying to rub your belt. Sir, that's got a scratch on it right there. I think it's... I think I, that's like 25% off easy, right? Like, it, look at all this damage on the container. You ladies walk in wanting to buy a shoe, and they hand you a box, and there's a pencil mark on the box, not on the shoe. Have you got one that ain't got all this stuff on it back there? <laughs> sit and watch a mall for a day, or sit up at Lowe's and watch them, or something. People do this stuff. I ain't making stuff up. That's just the way it goes. And, and we think about life from that perspective. And, and this is where it has the ability to damage us. You see, I walk in the store and automatically because the container does not look good, I assume that it should have less value than what its original intent was. I look at it and because something is scuffed and because it's broken and it's not as pretty as the one sitting beside it, maybe it's not worth as much. And we start trying to figure this, this thing out. And see, this is, this is the problem. We let the devil get in our mind and in our covering, and he starts telling us the same thing, saying, look at all those marks you got on there, man. Look at, the, look at those. I can see right through that box. Look at that hole you've made in your covering by getting out there and doing that stuff. And he'll talk those lies to you, and he'll talk those things to you, and tell you how messed up and how broken and how you have ruined your life, and there is no hope because we let him get in because this is the way we think in the real world. The real world. And we let him come out here and say these things to us and convince us that that is the truth. And then what happens is our view and our mind and our covering gets so jacked up that this becomes even the way we approach our relationship with Christ. We begin to think about him in, in even the same way. We let him get in our heads and tell us all this stuff, and then it becomes the same way I think of how Jesus must think of me. I know all the songs, I know all the cliches, but, but man, I've messed up too many times for that stuff about grace covers all to be real. Like, I know it covers a lot, but maybe it covers a lot and God still remembers. Like, maybe it covered it so I can still get to heaven, but it didn't cover it enough for me to be blessed. Maybe it covered it enough for me to be okay with God, but we don't really have to be on speaking terms because I'm embarrassed of what I've done. It's because this mindset has crept into your mind and your theology, and it was never intended to be that way. You let him tear up your covering, tear up your mind with all those lies. I'm going to move quick on this last part. Think back to 2 Samuel 9. Think back there. And David calls for a servant. Somebody from the house of Saul. I don't care who find me. Somebody that Saul had working for him. And they call in this servant named Ziba. And he says, is there anybody, anywhere? I just need somebody. I don't care if it's a great, 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 great grandson. I need somebody from the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of the Lord to because the king is only concerned that you know how good God is. He's not concerned with where you're at, with what lineage you came from, with all the evil stuff in your past. He's worried that you know there is a good God out there. 
King David, obviously being the picture of King Jesus here, calls for him. And the servant, rather than just telling him, yes, he's got a son named Mephibosheth, let me go get him for you. What does Ziba do? Ziba acts like your friends. Your friends, you know, those real good ones you got. Ziba walks up to him and says, yeah, king, there is somebody. It's, uh, it's Jonathan's son, and uh, he, he lives down at this other guy's house who's the son of this other guy, and he's bumming off of them, and he's living down in this city that's no good. It's a trashy place. It's the slums. Nothing good comes out of there. He's lame on his feet. He can't even walk. Okay, but what's his name? Name. What's his? Oh, yeah, yeah, his name's Mephibosheth. Ziba described everything, who his daddy was, where he came from, how broken he had been, all the mess he got into, all the trouble that he had made, his condition and how bad he was and how awful he looked, told him everything about him but who he was because he thought who he was was what he'd done and where he'd been. And that is the lie of the enemy that I am what I've done and where I've been and who I've been with and what I said and what I saw and what I've looked at and the choices I've made. And Jesus came to say that's all a lie. That's not who you are. Whew, I thought that'd get a little bit more. Just kidding. I'm not really hung up on your applause, but I do want you to be hung up on the truth that Jesus is crazy about you. And if you've been in church for 50 years, but you're still hobbling on your crutch, Jesus is still crazy about you and wants to fix that damage. Jesus still wants to help you. This is the thing. David calls for the servant, wants to show kindness, and they do not answer any of the questions about who he is, where can I find him, or about you know, his name, and is it a son of Saul? He goes through all these other things describing how bad he is. But here's the good news. The king won't abandon me because I'm broken. Amen. The king won't abandon me because I got all messed up throughout this thing called life. Even when everyone else wants to see me as damaged and all this other stuff. Now, Vonda, do you still want this? This could have been a glass pitcher in here and I done took a hammer to it. <laughs> Everybody else wants to look at me like this. They want to see all the scars, all the tears, all the rips. They want to see all the holes that have been pushed in there and in me, all the, all the damage. They want to look at all that mess and write me off. The container is all kinds of messed up. The covering is ripped to shreds. There is no hope of this thing being effective as a gift. But when everyone else sees my damage, Jesus sees my good. The container may be jacked up. <laughs> My covering is ripped to pieces. But the king comes in and says, uh, I want that one. Give me that one. But, but, but sir, you don't understand. This is all messed up. It's so wrong. Look at all the markings on it. Look at the holes. Look at how torn up it is. You don't want that. Jesus says, I know, I know. I see all that mess. Still want that one. But, sir, it's so dirty, it's so nasty, we've got a better one in the back. There's another one that would serve you better than this one. Are you really, really sure you want that one? I know, but it's all good. I tell you what, I'll even pay full price. I'll give you exactly what it's worth. And I know exactly what it's worth because what happened in Genesis 1.26, God put something 
on, on the inside. Oh, my. See, when everybody else is looking at all the mess and how wrapped up it is, Jesus isn't worried about my covering. He's not worried about my container because, see, he knows that inside there is a very valuable thing. You're laughing. These tennis shoes ain't no joke. These are expensive tennis shoes. <laughs> like, you may be wearing 30, $30 Walmarts, but these are expensive tennis shoes. I ain't got nothing wrong with $30 Walmart. I do too. These ain't mine. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus sees the contents. And when everybody else looks at my damage, and when everybody else looks at how messed up I am, Jesus knows what it is that's inside of me because he put it there. And here's the thing, though I look broken, Michelle, if you'll come on to the keys, though I look broken, though I look messed up, though I look like I don't have it together, whew, he says, I know what I put on the inside of you. And I know what's down in there. And even though everybody else says it's not any good, and even though everybody else told you it's not worth anything anymore, and even though your friends left, and even though you got divorced, even though all that stuff went wrong, I still know what you're worth. Reach over and slap your neighbor and tell him, I still got the goods. <laughs> I still got what he placed in me. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning, if you would, with me. <laughs> We've got some folks that have come in this morning, and there is no shame in it. We're all one of them that's damaged. We've all got some damage, Amen. Look over at them and tell them now, I'm damaged goods. That was so much better participation than the first time. Maybe we got somewhere here. I'm damaged goods. You're damaged goods. Because there's been some things that have happened to me along the way that I didn't ask for them and I didn't want them, but guess what they happened? And I got dropped. And it wasn't any fun and it didn't feel good and it marked me for the rest of my life. It's changed how I view everything. But can I tell you, that the king won't abandon me just because I'm broken. The king is still determined to show me how good he is. <laughs> can I give you one more thing, Michelle? You can go ahead and bring that up. I'm, I'm closing. I'm finishing. Um, can I give you one more thing real quick? I'm still within my time bracket. Ain't we finished? Praise God, right on time. <laughs> May not have been when you wanted, but it came on time. It's just like Jesus. Let me give you one more thing. Mephibosheth, if you read on in the story, David told him and said, look, I know you've been broken, I know you've been dropped, I know you've got some mess going on, but here's the thing, you're going to eat at my table for the rest of your life. And here's, here's, here's why I get excited about that. Yeah, the, the king's got good food. Yeah, the king has got everything you want sitting at the table. Yeah, the king has got something there that will nourish you, that will satisfy you, that will fix you. But here's what I get excited about. A king, in those ancient days with his banquet table, go look this up, some of these images, it'll bless you all over again, about had me shouting. When that king had his banquet table, they would take some of the finest linens they could get, they would stretch it out across that table and drape it down, and that cloth went down. And this is the thing, is Mephibosheth, where was his trouble at? From the waist down. Mephibosheth's problem was he can't walk. His legs are broken. His legs are crippled. His legs are messed up. He's gimped down here. He can't move. Oh, but when he comes to the king's table, 
at the king's table, it all gets covered and nobody knows anything different about him than anybody else. My God, if I could get somebody to understand that in the middle of your broken thing, in the middle of your mess, God is still able to cover that thing. God is still able to take what looks like damaged goods and make it a good thing. He looks on the inside of you and says, I know it looks broke. I know you got junk. I know it's messed up. But as far as I'm concerned, you still got the goods. You still got what I put in you. It's still enough. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for this people, God. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that when I got broken and when I got messed up, you were still there. I thank you that when I made choices to go the other way, you still held on to me. I thank you that when I didn't do right, when I didn't act right, I didn't know right, I didn't look right, you still called me. You still loved me, Jesus. And when everybody else said, you're damaged, you said you're good. Thank you, Father, for that this morning. Lord, I pray right now for anybody sitting under the sound of my voice that they say, that sounds great, but I've got some real damage. I've got some real damage. You don't know all the stuff that's wrong. Heavenly Father, I pray that you go to them right now Begin to flood their heart with your love, with your grace, with your goodness. Let them know that they are accepted. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. If you're in here this morning and you said, look, I've got some stuff. I'm doing right. I'm living right. But there's some places in my life that I got damaged. And it's causing me some trouble. There's some markings that have been left on me. There's some holes that the enemy's put through me. There's some, some things where I have stained my life. God is the one who redeems the time. God is the one who restores what the enemy stole. And if that's you and you say, I got some damaged places that need healed, why don't you just step out of your seat this morning? There's going to be some folks who will stand here and we'll pray with you and we'll agree with you. If that's you, come on. Step out of the aisle. We know there's some people in here that you've got broken stuff. There is nothing wrong. We are all broken. So come on out. Come on. I need some men to come help me pray with my brother. I need some men to come help me pray. Come on, there's some sisters in here too. I watched your faces while I was preaching. I know what's, what's going on in some of these things. Come on. If you say, I got some broken spots, there's nothing to be embarrassed of. There is a king that loves you. Don't keep that proud face on any longer. It's time to come home and let the king restore some stuff. I need some more brothers to come and help me pray. Come on. Come on, I need some men of God to help me pray. We're not ashamed of this. I need you to pray with a brother. If you got broken places, come on. I need some sisters to help me pray with my sister. Come on, ladies. If you're a woman of God, step out and help her pray. I need some married couples who know how to touch God to come and help me pray. Come on, I need some married couples that know how to touch God to come and help me pray for a minute. We're going to pray for God to restore broken and damaged things. He's going to heal some broken areas this morning. Come on, church, help me pray.